was the right time and the right place, Florence, Italy, in 1401. That's when the decorative brass baptistry doors were dedicated at the cathedral in the center of town. And it tells us that the classical ideals of the Greek and Roman world were being reawakened in what today we call the Renaissance. To help us explore the sites connected to the greatest achievements of the Renaissance as we stroll the streets of Florence, we're joined by tour guide and art history scholar Anna Pepperato. Anna's an American from Massachusetts who studied art history in Italy. Her studies awakened a love of the stories and art of this period, so she makes her home now in Tuscany. Thank you, Rick. Buongiorno. So what is the Renaissance? Well, the Renaissance is is a period of time that the word itself means rebirth, but it's a rebirth of classical culture in a very specific time and place, Florence in the 15th century. So it'd be the 1400s. And, yeah. and why Italy? Why Florence? Well, gosh, there was something in the water, perhaps. <laughs> well, I should say the wine. The wine, right. <laughs> yes, but it was really a time of economic prosperity under mm-hmm. that family that we've all heard about, the Medici. And when you have a town that's in a period of relative peace with relative economic prosperity, then you have the time to make art. So you got this big banking family that mm. has lots of money and, and art is cool and they hire, they, I guess if you pay money for artists, you get more people becoming artists and more focus on that. Yes, and then of course you get competition and competition breeds creativity. Well, speaking about competition, mm. so they have the new baptistry and uh, the leaders of the city say, well, they don't just say, have Pedro do it. <laughs> they say... Let's have a competition. Exactly. And in the year 1401, we have the baptistry is a much, much more ancient building. It's huge uh, in the center of Florence, right by the cathedral. And they wanted to make doors. They said, well, what kind of doors shall we make? Let's have a competition. And the best metalsmiths in Florence and in Siena, in Tuscany, entered this contest to make uh, a quatrefoil with the scene of the sacrifice of Isaac. And we have two panels remaining, so you can be the judge, but I'll tell you who won. It was Lorenzo Ghiberti. Uh-huh. What's a quatrefoil? You're an art historian. You lost me there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, quatre means four. So a four-leaf kind of, oh gosh. Like a four-leaf clover of art or something like that? Yes, inside of which you have to make a scene. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's, um, it's... A gothic it's, quatrefoil, we call it. Uh, and there, the big deal was Ghiberti was merging mathematics with art in order to show three-dimensionality on a two-dimensional surface? Yes, I mean, so they were relief panels on the door, so there's not a lot of three-dimensional space, but he Mm -hmm. was able to show the scene, the sacrifice of Isaac from the Old Testament in a very dramatic way, and also the Florentines are known for being a little bit stingy, and he was able to cast this bronze quatrefoil in only two casts, as as opposed to seven, which is the other panel that... so part of the reason he won is it would save the city money. Of course. (laughs) Wow. A banking city is very aware. So we got this Ghiberti baptistry doors Mm. and so on, and they say that kicked off the Renaissance. How could that event kick off the Renaissance? Well, it's hard. With all of these movements, it's hard to say when something begins or ends. And of course, Mm. we could say the Renaissance began even at the end of the 1200s, early 1300s. But then, you know, 1348, some little rats went by, fleas actually, and the Black Death kind of just put a pause on everything. So they were were on the verge of having this cultural explosion, this new smart age. Yes, and then the plague hit, and it knocked everybody back. Exactly. And, and uh, it was impoverished, and then we don't have any money or concern for great art here. We exactly. we got to survive. Right. So when Florence especially was able to pick itself back up again, some cities like Siena never fully recovered, but Florence right. did, and uh, they went far ahead, shall we say, than where they were before. Wow. Okay. Well, this is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Anna Piperato. She's a guide from Italy, and her, uh, her specialty is... Florentine art and Renaissance art, and uh, we're going to go on a Florentine Renaissance walk now. And Anna, 
Uh, if you're going to take a walk across town, let's just do a little short walk and we can piece it together. Where should we start? Well, I think a great place to start would be the Piazza Santissima Annunziata. Ooh, say that again. I love that word. Piazza Santissima Annunziata, the piazza, the square of the Most Holy Annunciation. Okay, so this is the square of the Holy Annunciation, and why would we start there? Well, it's a great place to start, because we've just talked about the doors, and I mentioned that another panel survived. It was by a guy called Brunelleschi. Uh-huh. He lost the competition, and rather than say, I'm going to become a better metalsmith in Florence, he's like, I'm out of here. Ciao, ciao. And he leaves. He goes to Rome, he goes on a walkabout, and he discovers the classical orders of ancient Rome, and he comes back to Florence, and in 1419 he is commissioned by the Silk Guild, which also employed metalsmiths to make the Hospital of the Innocents. And the Hospital of the Innocents is the first example of Renaissance architecture that we have in Florence. And it's not just a beautiful building, but the function of the Hospital of the Innocents really embodies the humanistic spirit that is now running through Florence. Humanism. Yes. Because I love this term humanism. It's part of it's part of the Renaissance. It's, it's part of the birth of the modern world. Yes. Uh, before, it was the opposite of humanism. We're just little worthless creatures yes. at God's mercy, you know. And now there's a sort of a pride and a dignity. It's not anti-religious, but it's no. a new way to look at things. What exactly. is humanism? Well, it kind of does what it says on the tin, right? Human. Yeah. If God made us in his image, then surely some part of us must be divine. Right. And the perfect shapes, of course, you know, the triangle and that represents the Trinity. But if you look at the Piazza Santissima Annunziata and the hospital, of the innocents, you have the square and the circle. And just think of the Vitruvian man. And if you go to Italy, look at your one euro coin, because there's a man who fits perfectly in a square, which is finite, but perfect, mortal. And a man also fits perfectly in the circle, which is infinite and divine. We are both human and divine. I love it. I love the way you teach that. Now, from there, you look down the street and you see this dome that just towers like a monster over the city. It's just like... It's massive compared to the architecture. And you think 500 years ago, that was really massive. So let's walk to the dome and tell us about that. So it's wonderful. From that piazza, you walk down Via dei Servi and you see that imposing dome, which was by Brunelleschi again. So he leaves. He's not a metalsmith. He becomes the greatest architect of Renaissance Florence. And Mm -hmm. his style goes throughout the centuries, really. He's, he's, he's classic. And the dome was a feat of Renaissance architecture. Uh-huh. The cathedral itself is the second cathedral on that same site. And that was Gothic, basically, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was Gothic, started in 1296, and it was enlarged when the Florentines heard the Sienese wanted to make a larger cathedral. They said, no, we're going to make a larger cathedral, but problem, we have this massive church and a massive hole, and we don't know how to make the massive dome that will cover it. So they built the church with the hole, not putting a Gothic spire on it, but waiting until they could do something more modern. Yes, and we even have a 14th century fresco that shows the dome that the Florentines knew they wanted, and it wasn't until Brunelleschi, after he did the Hospital of the Innocents, in 1420, he said, I know how to do this. Now, that dome was quite a, it had quite an impact, because I remember when Michelangelo was building the dome mm-hmm. in, uh, in Rome for the Vatican for the Pope, Yes. and Michelangelo was a Florentine, he said, I can build you a bigger dome, but it's not going to be more more beautiful than its sister in in Florence, in my hometown, the the Dome of Brunelleschi. And Michelangelo, you have to imagine when you're taking this Renaissance walk, Michelangelo took the same walk. Florence was his teacher. All the architects and the artists that we see, he saw as well. So he'd be inspired. And right, the Dome is is this medieval or this, uh, this Christian sort of ensemble. You've always got the church, you've got the baptistry, and you've got the bell tower. Yes. And this is quite a bell tower, Giotto's Tower. Yes, Giotto started the bell tower in the 1300s, and then of Mm -hmm. course, well, 
he died, as people <laughs> sometimes do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was continued. And it's this massive, massive bell tower that was then finished at the end of the 1300s and in the 1400s, decorated by the likes of Andrea Pisano in the 1300s and Donatello in the 1400s. So people don't realize it, but they're walking under an, an outdoor art gallery. Each niche yes. is with a statue by a very important a sculptor. Probably today they're modern replacements to they get are. them out of the acidic air. And one thing we should mention is just behind that Duomo, there's an amazing museum, the Museo del Duomo, the museum of the cathedral, where the original art from that great church and the bell tower is kept. And they've just redone it, and it's absolutely spectacular. And that's where the original doors of the baptistry are located, the original statues from the bell tower, and all sorts of wonderful things that show you how Brunelleschi made that dome, including simple inventions like like pulleys with gears in them so that the pack animals wouldn't have to be taken off you know, yeah. to go up and down. It's a it was... fascinating, intimate look at that amazing cathedral. And the amazing thing to me is half of the tourists are lining up to get into the Uffizi Gallery and the Academia yeah. to see David. And the, the Museo del Duomo, the, the museum of the cathedral, I mean, there's people there, but it's never a long line to get in. No, and it's, it's wide open. absolutely worth your time to go there. I highly recommend it. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves, and we are taking a Renaissance walk, and our guide is Anna Piperato. Anna lives in Siena. She guides all over Italy, and her specialty is Italian art. Now, from the Duomo, we're going to walk down to the river, and uh, as we walk, we find uh, sort of the, the main pedestrian drag mm-hmm. of, of old Florence, and it haps, happens to be uh, an old Roman road, doesn't it? Yes. In fact, part of the foundations of the cathedral lie on the old Roman walls. So mm-hmm. the road that we're going to go down now from the cathedral is called Via dei Calzaiuoli. Wow. Calzaiuoli. It's very difficult to say with all those vowels. I just call it Celts. Via That's, Celts. You can call it what <laughs> you want to call it. Calzaiuoli. Okay. Calzaiuoli. So we're walking down from the cathedral mm-hmm. on an old Roman road. This mm-hmm. is a grid plan. And yes. Because the Romans always had the same kind of rectangular Yep. fortified town with a, two streets that cut through it, yep. and on the middle would probably be the Forum. Exactly. That's exactly where it was. And, and, and it, as a matter of fact, you come to the Forum. Yeah, so if you go down the Via dei Calzai Wali, uh, well, actually, you would go down Via Roma to get to the Forum. That makes sense, doesn't it? But basically, the Forum is right where that the Cardus uh, and the Decumanus would meet, mm-hmm. the east-west road and the north-south roads. And uh, up until the 19th century, you could see the old uh, Roman Forum. But they decided to redo everything after unification and make, you know, Florence well, modern. Because Florence was the capital of it the was. newly united Italy, and they needed something grand. Exactly. So they cleared that out, and you've got this uh, huge sort of modern triumphal arch there today. And it's a, it's a cool square where everybody gets together. There's a carousel. There's strolling thieves. Yeah. There's outdoor cafes. It's quite a place to see and be seen. And a little Roman column reminding exactly. us. I there's... think it's the only Roman thing you see when you walk around town. Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah. yeah. But there's a church right a little farther down the Via Calzaiole, uh, which is very important for art historians. It's in every art textbook. Oh, it's a fantastic building that, surprisingly, some people often miss. Right. It's called Or San Michele. Mm-hmm. Or San Michele. And it's this huge rectangular building filled with niches with statues on them. And that was really uh, a place for the guilds of Florence because we had the Republic of Florence that was ruled by the guilds, these mercantile uh, like like unions, like labor unions. Unions, thank you very okay. much. Labor unions. So the guys that make the shoes and the guys that uh, were exactly. the carpenters and exactly. the guys that were the roofers. And uh, they wanted to, sometimes they wanted to advertise. Yeah, they wanted to advertise, you know, what they did, who their patron saint was. And so they had this idea that the niche would be dedicated to the patron saints of the guild. So, for example, mm. the Armourers Guild, their patron saint is St. George. And Donatello made a wonderful St. George. And he originally would have had a helmet and a sword so you could see what the Armourers Guild was capable of okay. making. So a few 
steps past that church, we get mm-hmm. to the big square, yes. and in front of it is the palace. Yes, we come to Piazza della Signoria, where there was the Palazzo uh, della Signoria, which we now call Palazzo Vecchio, which is still the town hall of Florence today. And you'll recognize Michelangelo's David right in front of it, and it's a copy today. It's ugly, if I may say, because the real David mm. is in the academia. You know, it's funny because it, it wouldn't seem ugly on its own. No. But you all know what the real David <gasps> looks like. And then you look at this thing and it looks like somebody's spit it out of a I little know. Uh, toy. The real you know? David breathes. He's got yeah. blood coursing through those veins. But that's the David was a symbol of the Republic of Florence, right? The little guy against the big enemy. And so he protected uh, the Republic of Florence for many, years. So that many was years. an apt mascot for Florence, Absolutely. wasn't it? I mean, it was Florence against the other city-states. Back then it was city-state against city-state. Yes. And they had their own pride. And, they, and David, the, you know, the shepherd boy that slayed the giant. Because God was on his side. Exactly. And what's funny is we, we talked about humanism before, and of course David is an Old Testament uh, hero. On the other side of the door of the Palazzo Vecchio, we have Hercules, who's right. a pagan symbol, but he's, he's, he, he relates to Christianity because he's also half man and half divine. We're exploring Florence, Italy, where the Renaissance was born with art history tour guide Anna Piperato. Anna offers virtual online Tuscany tours and classes from her home base in nearby Siena. It's at SiennaItalyTours.com. Our show archives include conversations about Florence and the Renaissance with author Salman Rushdie and historians William E. Wallace and Miles J. Unger. You can hear them in the Travel with Rick Steves archives at ricksteves.com radio. So, Anna, we've got the, the Palace of the Medici family. That's the, the, the banking family that kind of paid for all of this stuff to a certain degree. And now just a few steps away is the river. What are we going to find when we go from the Medici Palace down to the Arno River? Okay, so then you're going to follow David's gaze, as it were, and kind of walk through uh, this big piazza that's the piazza of the Uffizi. Uffizi means offices, but it, of course, is now the collection, the greatest collection of Renaissance art So that was the the offices of the city government. Yes, the offices of the Medici and of the government. And then one of the first art collections in the world, which now, thankfully, is open to the public. It's in the running for my favorite art collection anywhere because I love Italian paintings. And you got it. And that's (laughs) that's just filling the whole courtyard up on the high floor. Exactly. But we're going to keep walking through that Mm -hmm. courtyard now. And you're going to pass through a lot of, you know, statues of famous men, famous Tuscan men staring down at you because the Renaissance is not just art. It's not just the four Ninja Turtles, you know, Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo, and Raphael. (laughs) But you also have these magnificent patrons of the arts like Lorenzo the Magnificent, the name, right? A guy with quite a uh, no problem with his ego. Exactly. And uh, political science, uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. We all know that word Machiavellian, right? The ends justify the means. He was Florentine. He was Florentine in the 15th century. He knew Lorenzo the Magnificent and his family. Um, you also have, of course, later um, scientists and inventors. You and got Dante? You got, oh, Dante, the father of the Italian language. Right Dante Alighieri. And Americo Vespucci. <laughs> I, I've never heard of him. <laughs> exactly. And so this stuff is not just Italian. This is part of our American history as well. Because uh-huh. when Amerigo Vespucci went to the States, it wasn't the States then, right. but when he went to the New World, and in fact, uh, our continents were named after this Florentine. Yeah. So we finally then passed that courtyard and we belly up to the banister and ahead Mm -hmm. of us is the Arno River and we look to our right and we see that 
the bridge that people just love to see, the Ponte Vecchio. Yes, and Ponte Vecchio, the name doesn't actually mean anything interesting. It just means old bridge because there would uh-huh. have been many more bridges along the Arno River. But of course, during the Second World War, uh, it was the, the, the Germans, they destroyed the train station and the bridges because they had to destroy all means of communication, as it right. were. Uh, but even the German general said, no, this bridge is too beautiful to destroy. So they had the buildings on either side bombed mm. so the bridge itself was preserved. But as a means of passage, it was no longer viable. So I'm right. not used to thanking Nazi generals, but mm. there's one guy we can say, uh, Danke. Yeah. Had some or let's say Grazie. Uh, he had some good taste in art anyway. But. Okay, good. So uh, that really is a short walk, and Very it covers uh, really so much of the art that, that really inspired us to, to move forward into the modern age. Indeed, indeed. And it's a very pleasurable walk. And if I may, do it first thing in the morning and watch the city wake up with you and you can have all those things to yourself. And again, imagine yourself back 500 years seeing these things come up for the first time. And everything we saw was out of doors. You could do it after dinner too. Totally When everybody's back in their hotels, it's cool. And you can review all of these great, great souvenirs of the city that really kicked off the modern world as far as art and high culture goes, Florence. Anna, it is just exhilarating. Your enthusiasm and your passion <laughs> for this is contagious. I want to go to Florence. And if I was with you and you wanted to take me to one little moment, one site, indoors or out, where I could really be inspired by how important the Renaissance was, how, how beautiful it was for civilization, where would you take me? This might be one of the hardest questions anyone's ever asked me but I love the Bargello. The Bargello is a sculpture museum, and there's a statue in there by Donatello, uh, the greatest 15th century sculpture, and it's one of his Davids. It's the bronze David, so you have this little boy who has just defeated the giant. He's naked except for boots and a hat, and he is the most Italian David you've ever seen because he's just full of confidence and, yeah... I did that. And the statue is not perfect. There are he's holes in it. He's a little bit feminine, and yeah, he's still confident. but he's prepubescent, and he's, he's, just, he's just sort of exquisite. He's exquisite, even though he's not perfect. He's perfectly imperfect, because Donatello was someone who was taking risks with his bronze casting. It's the symbol of the city. It was commissioned by the Medici. It was meant to be seen in the courtyard of the Medici Palace, a symbol of Republican Florence, a symbol of the rebirth of classical culture, and just a really gorgeous thing to look at because life, as messy as it can be, is also beautiful. And the Medici did actually really believe in that. And this is art for art's sake. It's a celebration of what exactly what you said, humanism. Humanism. Okay, it is also propagandistic. We're talking about a major family here in the 15th century, but we can also look at it art for art's sake. It's fantastic. The message is there and the beauty is there. David by Donatello in the Bargello. Yes. Grazie mille. Ciao. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. In my latest book, For the Love of Europe, you can savor Europe's most exciting experiences and sights through a hundred of my favorite travel stories. Imagine hanging from an alpine ridge, dancing at a Turkish circumcision party, and swinging with a bell ringer in a medieval church spire. You can order your copy of For the Love of Europe at ricksteves.com.